John 14. These are the words of Jesus, which means they should be a big deal to us. Is that right? Are his words a big deal to you? Well, he said here in John chapter 14, verse 21, he said, he who has my commandments and keeps them. How would we say that? That's somebody who Jesus' words is a big deal to them. He who has the commandments of Jesus and keeps them, that just simply means the words of Jesus are a very big deal to them. That means they've given the words of Jesus first place. That means they've made his word first word, last word, and every word in between. That means they've got a word from Jesus. And even though there's a hundred other words from people around them, well-meaning people, family and or strangers or co-workers or anyone else, and anytime there's another word that doesn't line up with that word they have from Jesus, they very politely put it away. Because they've got a word from Jesus. They have his commands and they keep them. It is he who loves me. Do you know that's a sign that you love him? You you don't really have to focus so much on the doing of the commandment. You don't really have to focus so much on the, the performing of it, the doing of it. If you'll get over onto the love side of it, knowing that you love him because he first loved you, And if you'll just spend time, I've been looking at this the last several days on my way here and just meditating on it. And and this comes up in, in the very next chapter. If you'll spend time abiding in that love. What's that mean? Hanging out in it. Continuing in it. Living in it. Living in the love of God. Living in knowing how much he loves you. And this is where I think we've missed it. Because we've seen the commandment to love. We know that we're to walk in love. But we've taken and prioritized our love and walking in it towards other people before knowing how much we've been loved by him. And it's not going to work. It will not work. Simply because you can't give what you don't have. Wouldn't you love the ability, we talked about this this morning, to... Come to somebody in church. This is somebody that's a part of your family and you know a need they have and you know they're in debt on their home and you say, you know what? The Lord woke me up this morning and I got so excited. He said, pay that house off. Here you go. And you both just do a little dance right there in the middle of church. Wouldn't that be great? I'd love it. Would you love it? I'd love to do that. Why am I not doing it? I ain't got it. That's the only reason. You can't give what you don't have. I know the Lord really started waking me up to this. I I saw it in the book of John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you'd have life. Well, it doesn't sound like good news, but it is that the thief comes to steal. How's that good news? He couldn't be a thief if you didn't have something. Do you know why you can't go to my home in Fort Worth right now and steal a McLaren or a Ferrari out of my garage? It's not because it's so well protected. It's not because I have it behind security. You can't steal one from me because I ain't got one. Because I don't have one. But Satan's a thief because you've got something. Amen. And I started seeing that train of thinking, and I know we're kind of on another side of it here, but if, if, even when you've got the desire to do something, you can't do it until you have it. You can't give something you don't have. Yes, I want to walk in love. Yes, that's the royal commandment. Yes, it's the commandment of the word of God, but it cannot come to pass in my life until I've got a revelation of how deeply I am loved. Because what I need to give you is the overflow. And this is what we've been on all weekend. Filling up, feeding on the love of God until it fills up in me and I grow in it 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 and I I increase in it. And as as I fill up with love, what does it do? It flushes out fear. It flushes out worry. It flushes out lack. It flushes out anything that is not God or of God. It flushes all that out. 
The same way if you were to take a glass that had a little bit of liquid in it and you just ran the water in it, it's going to fill up and it's going to fill up. But in that process of filling, it's taking everything else and bringing it out and getting rid of it until there's only water in there. That's what love does to fear, flushes it out. And we're filling up on it and we're filling up on it. And we're, it's not like we've self-imposed love. We're not turning love into a law in the sense that with that law came no power to do it. No, love's not a law like that. It's, it's the law of liberty. With the command of love came the ability to do it. As long as you've got a revelation of how much you are loved. He who has my commandments, I started to say this a moment ago, you don't have to focus so much on the commandment side if you get over into the love side of it, abiding in the love of God. And this is what Paul really was saying to the people in, uh, in the church of Galatia where he wrote to them, and they had, they had been saved by grace, They've, they heard the word on Jesus, but then somebody else came along and said, yeah, that's good, but you need this too. You need these laws. You need these commandments. You need the circumcision or that, that outward demonstration in the flesh. Grace is good, but it's not complete. And Paul was not happy with that. He said a couple of nice things in the first couple of verses, but then he just led into them and said, why'd you trip up so soon? What happened to you? And in chapter 5, he said, look, the works of the flesh are evident. And I think we've heard that word flesh and automatically associated it with the desire to do bad. And there is a carnal nature and there are all those things, the temptations and things we deal with by the word. But when he said flesh, it's not just limited to the desire to do bad. It actually encompasses the desire to do good, but leaning on the arm of the flesh to do it. And he said, the works of the flesh are evident. It's obvious what happens when you lean on flesh to do good. And he gives them this big long list that include things like murder, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry. All of this comes from trying to do good in and of your flesh. And he said, the works of the flesh are evident. But then he said, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The nature of God, the seed of the nature of God planted in you, bearing fruit. What, what is fruit? It's overflow. Isn't it? It's a seed that was in the ground that grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and overflowed into fruit. It's overflow. And fruit is proof. You don't walk up to an apple tree with apples hanging off every limb of every branch, and you say, what kind of tree is this? Why? Because there's proof hanging from it. It's an apple tree. Fruit is proof. And love in your life is nothing but proof that the seed of love got planted, and it grew, and you're overflowing. Joy in your life is proof that the seed of joy got planted, and it's overflowing. And he ended it by saying this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, so on. He said, against such, there is no law. Amen. In other words, if you're so intent on keeping this law, fine. Here's how you do it. Let love have its way. When love have its way, has its way, you're not going to murder somebody. You're not going to steal from them. You're not going to covet when love has its way. Against such, there is no law. Get over onto the love side of it and you'll keep the commandment. Amen? Man, I feel like that was really good preaching. I, I, I was maybe from this row right here. Would you, is that? Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. That's awesome. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I love it. That's what I want. Anybody else? Amen. This is what we're after. And we want to preach this thing until it quits being the topic of the message and becomes the atmosphere of the room. Yes. Where the manifestation of Jesus isn't just something we're talking about. It's something we're breathing. Yes. Breathing it in. Breathing it out. A manifestation of the presence of Jesus. Praise the Lord.
uh, we, we've talked about this, this word manifestation meaning show. The Amplified even says it, I will show myself to him. I will manifest myself, reveal myself. I like the word reveal. Uh, a, a revealing or a revelation, uh, a removing of the veil or the curtain, if you will. What does that do? It shows you what was there all along. If this podium was under a veil and you couldn't see it because the veil hung over it and I, one, two, three, revealed it to you, I didn't put it there. It was already there. In the same way that if you were to walk into a dark room looking for something and the light comes on and you see it, you don't say, look what the light put there. No, the light just showed you what was there all along. Come on, the light showed you what's been there all along. And when revelation takes place in the heart of a believer, when the veil comes off Jesus, isn't this what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? That in Christ Jesus the veil is removed and we behold him. We see his glory as in a mirror and we are transformed and changed into that very image from glory to glory. Why? Because the veil got removed. He got revealed. You got to see what had been there all along. And this answer you've been looking for, this answer you've been waiting on, I guarantee you when you see it, you're going to go, that has been there this whole time. And you are going to laugh at yourself and you are going to thank God and say, thank you for taking the cover off of that for me. And that's what Jesus said. I will show, manifest, reveal myself to him. Make myself known to him. Make myself easily seen by him. Come on, somebody say, that's what I want. That's what, I want. That's what I'm after. Yes. Praise the Lord. And this is what we're talking about. It's, it's what you can see. A show is what you can see. If you can't see it, it's not a show. If you can't see it, it's not a show. What does a lost man need? He needs to see Jesus as his Savior. He's got to see him. What does the sick man need? He needs to see Jesus, his healer. Amen? What does the broke man need? He needs to see Jesus. Oh, well, he needs a few steps and a good plan. and a, Okay, all that's fine, but not until you see Jesus. The one who was rich but for your sake became poor so that you through his poverty might be made rich. You've got to see it. You've got to see him. And if you don't see him, you say, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see him. See him for who he is. Open my ears. I want to hear him. That's why Paul prayed that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. And he also said, we don't look at things that are seen, but we look at things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are temporary, but the unseen things, they are eternal. Amen. Glory to God. We're talking about what we can see. And of course, we've been talking about kindness. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 in the New Living Translation. Let me remind you what it says. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and man. The same way that Jesus grew in this, you and I can grow in it. And according to 1 Corinthians 13, kindness is manifested love. It's the part of love that you can see. Let me just go back over this, some of this briefly. Um, Titus chapter 3 says, When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, we were saved. Kindness appeared. We could see it. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about uh, him showing us the exceeding riches of His grace toward us in His kindness. You know, you learn to read certain people. And depending on who's telling you something, two people could tell you the same thing. But depending on who's saying it and where it's coming from, your reaction will be different. Won't it? I mean, if, if you had... If you had a crazy old aunt, an auntie, if you had a crazy old auntie who was notorious for calling you up 
and saying, I've got something for you. <laughs> and just, you knew it was something she had tripped over in the attic that's old and dusty and worn out and because you've been given a hundred of these things before and she says, I've got something for you, dear. <laughs> you say, okay, I'll be over soon, maybe. But on the other hand, if you've got a rich grandfather, I mean, you've got a granddad that is loaded. And you know the kind of stuff he's got, right? Anybody else got one of these? I got one of these. And one of my favorite phone calls is, Jeremy, this is Papa. I got something for you. Yes, sir, on my way. <laughs> Ding dong. I'm not ashamed. Why? I know who's calling. I know who it is that's got something for me. And when God, this is your rich, rich daddy. And he says, hey, I want to show you something. You better come running. I want to show you something. And I find in the word that he wants to show me the exceeding riches of his grace? Sign me up. I'm on my way. The exceeding riches of his grace, and he wants to show it to me? Well, how did he show it to me? In his kindness. Oh, his kindness. If there's anything that I'm thankful that he is, it's kind. I'm so thankful he's kind. And I am so thankful that he is patient because God is love and love is patience. And if love is patience, then God is patient. And God is love and love is kind. So if love is kind and God is love, then God is kind. And I am so thankful that he is. So thankful. After all the dumb stuff I've done, so thankful that he's kind. And still he says, hey, Jeremy, we'll show you something. It's the exceeding riches of my grace to you in his kindness. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. I want you to help me with this tonight. Go with me to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 9. And now we're getting into some things that are new to me. And I've been meditating on this for over a month now. And have not yet been able to get it out. I think we've gone to probably, I don't know, three or four different places where I fully intended to get to this but never could. And here it comes. And I need your help with it. Can you be in agreement with me on this tonight that the Lord will say what he once said? was preparing to preach at home, literally in our home, to our family night group. And um, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I... I didn't have my Bible open or anything. I was just praying. And I said, Lord, I want an example from your word. I want a, I want a picture of your kindness. And I was looking, I was thinking, something from the Old Testament that just, just shows your kindness. <laughs> and this seemed like such a random thought. And I thought, David and Mephibosheth. Now, folks, that's got to be God. <laughs> Because I'm not often thinking David and Mephibosheth. I can barely pronounce Mephibosheth. And I can tell you in the few years of preaching that I've done, I've never preached on David and Mephibosheth. I was familiar, though, with the story, and I, I got to thinking about it when that came up in my heart, and I thought, yeah, that was, I think I could see how that would be considered kindness. So I looked it up and found where it was, and I got to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and I'm reading it out of the New King James and most of your Bibles will do this, but the, the title of the chapter is David's Kindness to Mephibosheth. And I thought, that's so cool. It's this kindness. 
And then I started reading it. Listen to this. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? Do you want to know the dance I did when I read that? Because I've been preaching on the love show. And how kindness is the part of love that you can see. And up out of the, the, like the bottom left-hand corner of my heart, where I never go looking, comes David and Mephibosheth. And I find the very first verse, David crying out, Is there anyone who is left in the household of Saul that I may, say it with me, I just love to hear it, show him kindness. For Jonathan's sake. Oh, this gets better. It's getting gooder. Some good American for you right there. It's getting gooder and gooder. Verse 2. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Verse 3. The king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show The kindness of God. Can you tell what's on David's brain? Can you hear what's in David's heart? It's so clear. I want somebody to show the kindness of God. Give me somebody. When's the last time you just got hungry and desperate? I got to be kind to somebody. Just give me somebody to show some kindness to. I think a lot of times we're walking around just on the verge of taking somebody's head off their shoulders. The next time somebody says anything to me, I don't care if they look at me funny, I am about to get, just give me somebody to hit. But can you hear this in David? Can you hear the heart of God rising up in him? And I love that he said this, to whom I may show the kindness of God. It's not just his own niceness. This man has a revelation of how kind God is. And he's about to overflow with it onto somebody. Where did he get this revelation? Well, if you were to back up, we won't for time's sake, but if you were to back up two chapters, you will hear David say to the prophet, it's not right that I live in this house of cedar, this castle, this this." This king's quarters. And God dwells in a tent. He says, it's not right. I'm going to build God a house. And it's going to be massive. It's going to be the most magnificent thing this world has ever seen. And the prophet just said, yeah, do whatever you want. But then when the prophet left him in that evening, the Lord spoke to the prophet and said, you go back to David and you tell him this. So he went back to David and this is what he said. He said, I have seen your heart to build me a house, but you're not going to build it. I'm going to build you one. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to establish your kingdom and your throne forever. What's he doing? He's giving David this glimpse of who's coming. Come on, help me out. Who's coming? Jesus is coming. And he said to David, it's going to come out of your lineage. I'm going to establish this throne forever. Because you want to do this thing for me? No, 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 no. I'm going to do this thing for you. Now, your son, he can build me a house, but not you. I'm going to build you a house. And I'm going to take you to your fathers. You will be buried in peace with your fathers. And David just cried out to him, who am I? How have you regarded me? Why would you regard me like this? Who am I? He got a revelation of the kindness of God. And two chapters later, what do we we see going on? Is there somebody in the household of Saul? Now, do you remember the household of Saul? Saul, who tried on a number of occasions with great tenacity and full commitment To kill David? And yet David sits here in his palace 
at peace, having defeated his enemies at that time. And at a time it would be so easy to look at what you have and get comfortable. What's he doing? Give me somebody. Give me somebody from the house of Saul that I can show the kindness of God for Jonathan's sake. For Jonathan's sake. Hold your place here in 2 Samuel and go back to 1 Samuel chapter 20. What's this for Jonathan's sake? David and Jonathan, the scripture tells us that their souls had been knit together. This was a covenant friendship. And they made covenant with one another. And this was a serious thing. After David had defeated Goliath, he made covenant with Jonathan. You know, Saul had brought him in to his family, gave him his daughter to marry, and he made covenant with Jonathan. And if you look at the covenant they made, Jonathan gave David his armor, gave him his spear, gave him his bow, gave him that, that weaponry, that belt of weaponry that he wore. And that was a covenant exchange because those, every single one of those items that he gave Je- that Jesus, that he gave David, bore on them the markings of the son of the king. And in this covenant exchange, which is an exchange of identity, he gave to David the name of the king. He gave to David the seal of the family of the king. And what did he do by doing that? He elevated him. He elevated him. And when David put this on, And somebody saw him with this on. They don't look at David. They're seeing through David to Jonathan, to the son of the king. That's what this armor represented. You know, I believe that's why David couldn't take Saul's armor. I believe when David marched in there to Saul and said, my God's with me. I've killed the lion, I've killed the bear, and this uncircumcised jerk ain't going to be any different than that because my God is with me. I think Saul saw on David what used to be on him, which was what? The anointing. The anointing. Now, I, I can't prove all this, but you can't prove it's not true, so... But I believe when Saul saw that, he said, here, take my armor. I believe Saul knew David was going to go out there and kill that guy. And when he said, take my armor, what was he saying? Take my identity. In other words, I, I, need, I need these folks to know when all this goes down the way I know it's about to go down, I need all these folks to know I sanctioned this. And he was out there with my approval, under my authority, and with my identity. And David put them on, and he said, I, I can't wear these because I haven't proven them. The only thing he had proven was fighting, not in somebody else's identity, but in the name of the Lord. Now, he had proven that. And that had worked. You can't go out there and fight your fight with somebody else's identity. You can't fight your fight with somebody else's armor on. Why do you think God said, take my armor? Why do you think the Spirit of God said, take unto yourself the whole armor of God? Just get dressed up in his armor, in his identity, under his name. And Satan sees you come and dress like God. You got that helmet down. He doesn't know who's back there. All he knows, that's God himself coming right at him. So anyway, David and Jonathan, souls knit together, covenant with each other, in covenant with each other. An exchange of identities, the lower one lifted up. That's always what happens in covenant. The lower one is lifted. It's always what happens. 
And in a covenant exchange, it's, it's a partnership. It's a covenant partnership that says, I have what you need and you have what I need. But when we're together, we have no need. It's like a farmer on one side of the mountain coming into covenant with a warring family on the other side of the mountain. This farmer can't defend himself, but this warrior can't feed himself. So they come into a covenant with each other, and from that point on, both families are fed and protected. It's covenant. This is what David and Jonathan entered into, this covenant exchange. But of course, you know, that, that spirit was on Saul and he tried to kill David and David was running for his life. And Jonathan, because he loved him, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, he has devised a way to figure out whether David or not is safe or not in the house of Saul. And they're, they're in this conversation with each other and they've made this vow, they've made this covenant Back up to verse, look at verse 12. Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow, or in other words, we'd say it like this, when when I've felt him out, when when I've assessed the situation, or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, if I don't send word and tell you, may the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, or if he really does have it in his heart to kill you, to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away. So in other words, I will save your life no matter what it takes. That's this covenant that they're in. I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety and the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Verse 14, I want you to see this. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Jonathan knew. Jonathan saw it on David. He saw the anointing on him. Jonathan knew without a shadow of a doubt he is going to be the king. God is with him. God is on him. And he said, I'm making a covenant with you. Your life is precious to me and I will do what it takes to protect it. I will do what it takes to save you. But your side of this covenant, David, you show me kindness and you show my, my family kindness forever. And David and Jonathan entered into this with each other. Verse 23, uh, And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord be between you and me forever. He says it again in verse 42, May the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. I like that. The Lord is between us. In other words, there's nothing between me and you, David, but God himself. Nothing between us. There's nothing between us. And David's side to that covenant when he became king was to show the kindness of God. Then you go back to 2 Samuel now, chapter 9, and now you hear what he says. Verse 1 again, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Did you know you can show kindness to someone and it have nothing to do with that person? But for the sake of somebody else. Watch this. For the sake of the one you're in covenant with. For the sake of the one that you are in covenant with. Listen to this. Keep your place here, but I want to read it to you. Ephesians chapter 4. Oh, I just, I saw this about two hours ago. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Remember we talked about putting away childish things. 
Let those be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. God forgave you, but it really didn't have as much to do with you as it had to do with Jesus. Mm, okay, come on now. Here we go. This covenant that God is in, it's a blood covenant that he made with Jesus. These are the two immutable things by which it's impossible for God to lie. See, before this, God had always been in covenant with man, but there was always that clause of the covenant when you don't keep your end of it, we're going to have to figure that out. There's going to have to be a sacrifice. There will have to be a sacrifice. And forever he had been in covenant with man who he knew and they knew and we know couldn't keep it. We couldn't live up to our end of it. All we'd try, but you'd get a, about a day into it until you just messed it all up. But for the first time, God was in covenant with a man who hadn't sinned and would not sin. This covenant cannot be broken. And this is why he came into covenant with Jesus and then included us in it by wrapping our identity up in Jesus. Why on earth do you think we pray in Jesus' name? Why? <clears throat> it's because every time you come to God by faith in, in, it's like being in that armor. You're in it. You're covered up in it. you zipped up. I'm in Jesus. And Jesus is in me. And you come to the Father in the name of Jesus and you come in faith and you go through Jesus, your mediator, your intercessor. What's a mediator do? What's an intercessor do? If Joel and I have a mediator between us, then the mediator comes to me. I speak to the mediator. The mediator then goes and speaks to Joel on my behalf. And when Joel looks at the mediator, he sees the mediator, but he knows where it's coming from. You see that? Jesus is our high priest. That's what the high priest did. That's who the high priest was. He was the representative of God to man and man to God. That's what the high priest was. That's what he did. That's who our high priest is. He's the one. Man, you got a high priest right now in the presence of God, not just representing God to man, representing man to God. In other words... God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, God of the universe. When you look at man, look at our mediator. Judge man on how you judge our mediator. Look at our representative. It's like us all, it's like we all got together and said, okay, who's going to go to God for us? And it's like we took a vote, even though we didn't. But if we had a choice, I'd pick Jesus. I'd pick Jesus. You go talk to him for us. You go stand between us. And right now, he's standing in the presence of God. And you come into God in Jesus' name. The Father turns to Jesus, and your prayer is coming out of the mouth of Jesus. Now, what would he not do for Jesus? And because you're in him... To make all that work, he had to forgive you. That's right. And he did it for Jesus' sake. Oh, he loves you. Of course he loves you. You're his creation, created in his image. Oh, but the love that he has for Jesus. And this is why Jesus prayed that you and I would come to know the love of the Father. That you and I would abide in the love. He said, my Father loves me and I abide in His love and He is in me. And if you abide in me, then you abide in His love. It's all in Jesus. 
And when he forgave you, he did it because he loves Jesus. What Jonathan, what we're about to see, excuse me, what we're about to see David do for Mephibosheth, he did because he loved Jonathan. Had nothing to do with this young man. Nothing to do with him. He did it for Jonathan. Jumping ahead of myself here, but whoever owes you and you've been wrestling with forgiving them, quit looking at them. You're not forgiving them for their sake. Yeah, it'll have an effect on them. It'll really have an effect on you. But you're doing it because of the one you're in covenant with. God, I'm going to forgive them. You know how I feel. We don't even need to talk about it. But I'm going to forgive them because of what you did for me. And I'm going to do this to them for you. I don't know if you've ever heard the Lord say that. Ever had him ask you to do something and you were wrestling with it on the inside, but then he came back and said, would you do it for me? If you got a heart for him at all, that should end it right there. Yes, sir, I would do it for you. Thank you, Jesus. Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? The servant in the house of Saul, his name was Eva. He called him to David. David said, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. And David said in verse 3 again, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Lame in his feet. He's lame. Hmm. So the king said to him in verse 4, where is he? Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. <laughs> Lodabar. The, the name of this place, Lodabar, it literally means no pasture, no word, no communication. This is not where you want to spend your life. No pasture, no word, no communication. You know how they say word travels fast? Not to Lodabar. <laughs> It does not travel there. It's that remote. It's that far out. So David said, oh, really? He's, he's lame, huh? Hmm. And he's in Lodabar? It's kind of far. So David said, is there anybody of the house of Saul that's like in the neighborhood? Is there, is there somebody in walking distance? That, did David say any of this? No. Then David, then King David sent, I want you to circle or underline this word sent, and brought, circle, underline the word brought. He sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiar, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, this name, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And honestly, probably out of fear. Because the only reason he was in Lodabar was his uh, nanny, if you will, went on the run. And people were afraid of David. Why? Because Saul had tried to kill him and it, they just assumed that he's going to get even. And she went on the run and she, they're running out of town. And on the way out, this woman dropped Mephibosheth. And injured him in his legs. Permanent injury. He was lame. He was lame. Be watchful over your response when the Lord shows you who to be kind to. Really, God? That guy? So lame. Watch out. Because the kindness of God towards someone you see here from David has nothing to do with what that person has the ability to do for you. The kindness of God in you and overflowing out of you is not motivated and has nothing to do, is not contingent upon 
whether or not you think that person has any ability to do something on your behalf. You come across a rich guy, you come across a, 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 somebody who's well off and has a lot of resource and a lot of ability and can really set you up. Oh yeah, sure, you can be kind to that guy. Way to go. Anybody could do that. But when he shows you somebody that's got nothing, can't do a thing in the world for you, be watchful over your response. This should be our response. David sent and he brought him out. This word sent, I was looking at it. You know what else it means? It means to reach. It means to stretch. What a picture that creates. David reached for this young man. When he sent for him, he was reaching for him. He was reaching out to this young guy. And to reach out to someone is to reach beyond whatever distance separates you. Whatever somebody is, whatever has caused distance between you and someone. Now, it could be natural, physical distance. And, hey, I know something about that. Sarah and I travel full time. The Lord said to us, you know, preach the gospel. We're not sitting at our house waiting on everybody and their churches to all come show up at our house. No, what are we doing? We are, we are closing the distance between us and them in that church. I don't know the number of miles between Fort Worth and Manchester. But you know what? When you guys invited us, I didn't sit there and calculate that. I didn't think, man, that's, that's a long way. What can they do for us? I can stand here and in honesty tell you, we did not give a single thought to an offering or an honorarium or any of that stuff. That's between you and God. He said go, so we got on a plane and closed this distance that was between us. And I can say, by the grace and the help of God, my wife and I and our team came to Manchester with kindness written all over our heart. There's distance between us and we're going to close it down. And it was a reach. It was a reach. I believe we have a word for you. I, I believe the Lord was gracious enough to give us a word for you. I, I, he's honored us with that. He's honor, he honors us by speaking to us. He honors us by speaking through us. And out of kindness, we close the gap. Out of kindness, we reach. And whatever, whatever creates distance, kindness will reach beyond it. People are distanced not just naturally with with natural miles, kilometers, that distance can be put between people, separation can be put between people. Uh, we can be separated by culture. Right? We can be separated by race. We can be separated by any number of things, but kindness will always, when they see, when, when that radar has landed on the one that the Lord has said, go, show them. Take them to the love show. Come on. And kindness lands on that will reach beyond cultural barriers, will reach beyond racial barriers, will reach beyond anything and everything that separates, that's trying to divide us and say, I'm, I, am, I am going to get rid of the distance that's between us. Here's one. Offense. Offense will put more distance between two people than any number of miles ever could. You could have a husband and a wife laying in the same bed and be further apart than the United Kingdom and the United States. Am I telling the truth? Yes. Offended. The word offense literally... I, love, I, I don't use the word literally until I come over here. Literally. <laughs> literally means separated. It literally means separation. Jesus talked about people who heard the word. But when persecution arose for the word's sake, they were offended. 
In other words, they were separated from the word that they heard. They heard it and they rejoiced over it, but he said it didn't take root because they were persecuted, because something came and it pressed them away from what they heard. We have got to be aware. This is the devil's device to try to get in here between us and try to separate us. If he can get you disconnected through offense, disconnected because somebody said something to you and it, and it hurt. And I heard a preacher say this a long time ago. I heard him say, you know, I can have my feelings hurt and not be offended. And I used to think about that. I think, how is that possible? But I've just in this recently seen that it, offense isn't hurt feelings. You can have something that hurts your feelings, but if you'll deal with it, it doesn't mean you have to be separated. But when you allow it to continue and when you abide in the offense instead of abiding in the love, it creates separation and you grow apart, apart, apart. And Jesus preached to his disciples and he said, I preach this to you that you be not offended. If you refuse to let anything separate you, if this is your church home, and if you know God has called you here, then you make the decision right now. My skin is thick. You know what I mean by that? My skin is thick. I cannot and will not be separated from this place. Become unoffendable. Unoffendable. Because this is the devil's scheme. This is what he does. If he can't get somebody in sin, if he can't get somebody just tripped up in some public display of stupidity and sin, then what's he going to do? He's going to try to get in here and start talking and start whispering and trying to get people separated from one another because it's only the power is in our connection. You become disconnected, you become powerless. And I told you this morning, I believe the Lord wanted to do some healing in here tonight. And I think it has to do with this. There's some heart healing that needs to take place. And maybe you've been offended. Or maybe you know somebody who is offended. Maybe offended at you. And you're thinking, I didn't do it. I didn't say it. It's all a misunderstanding. I can't, I don't know what to do. You're separated. And that, that gulf between you is getting bigger. Come on, right now, right now. Let the kindness of God rise up in you and reach. Reach. Under that old covenant between God and man, because God knew man couldn't do it, he couldn't keep it, he said, here, you're gonna, I'm going to have to give you this sacrifice. I mean, we talked about that a moment ago. I've got to give you this sacrifice. And when the man came to that sacrifice, the high priest and, and the congregation watching this, that sacrifice, that animal, it didn't just represent sin, although it did, and they imparted their sin to it, to that man. That animal represented not just the sin, but the distance the sin had created between them and God. And that's what that animal represented. And when that high priest put that animal to death, every man standing out there saw that as the death of the distance between him and God. It's time we put to death the, the distance between us and our brother, between us and our husband and our wife and our family. It's time to put the distance to death. How do you do it? It starts with your, with your reach. But he didn't just reach to him. It says he sent and he brought him. That word brought also means draw. Isn't that interesting? What is kindness but drawing power? And we know that's what's happening. Give me somebody to be kind to. He sent for him. He reached to him and he drew him. He reached out to draw in. He reached out to draw in. This is what kindness does. It reaches out. It draws in. And then... It says when Mephibosheth came, he fell before David, probably afraid. And David in verse 7 said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for your father 
for Jonathan, your father's sake. What does love do? It casts out fear. And David's putting love on display. I love you, but it's not hypocritical love. It's not all talk, no show. I'm going to say it, and I'm going to show it. I'm going to say it, and I'm going to show it. I'm going to show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and here's what I'm going to do. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. David reached out, he drew in, and he lifted up. The best that I can see, this is what kindness does. It reaches out, it draws in, and it lifts up. It reaches out, it draws in, and it lifts up. Come on, help me. It reaches out, it draws in, and it lifts up. I've been doing these workouts at home, and the, the lady on the workout keeps, yes, I said the lady on the workout. She keeps, she keeps, she's got us doing this one where it's, it's this motion where you jump up, and then you go down, you touch the ground, and then you jump up again, and her big thing is, it's all one motion. I don't want to see you jump up and then stop and then do it. It's all one motion. Well, I'm telling you this, kindness, it's all one motion. It's reach out, draw in, lift up. It's reach out, draw in, lift up. And I, 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 I'm so thankful, if you'll give me just a moment, I'm so thankful that our team is here to hear this because, guys, this is who we are from now on. And your job and what you do, and if you adopt this, it's your job and what you do, find out, what am I doing to reach out? If I'm doing this, it better be a reach out. It better be a draw in. How does this reach out? How does it draw in? How does it lift up? Because if we can find out how it reaches out, we'll do it. If we can find out how it draws in, we'll do it. If we can find out, does this thing lift somebody up? Does it lift them up or does it put them down? As long as it lifts them up, we'll do it. And this is what David did for this young man. And I like reading this story. You know how sometimes we take somebody's name and we just, we take the first two letters and we cut the rest off? Y'all ever do that? Joel, Joe, right? Jeremy, Jer. Mephibosheth. Me. It's me. It's me. It's me. I was lame. And he reached out to me. And he drew me in. And he lifted me up. And man, I know something about this. I know what it is for somebody to talk to you, looking through you and seeing somebody else. Are you kidding me? Kenneth Copeland's grandson? Do you know how many people have had conversation with me? Thinking, I'm talking, I've, I've got to get this to Kenneth, got to get this to Kenneth. And sometimes it's stupid motives and sometimes it's the greatest honor of my life. What kind of idiot would I have to be to try to distance myself from that? Do you know what kind of doors that has opened up for me? And I'm standing here right now because my grandfather, my grandparents reached out to me, drew me in, set me at a little table and turned the camera on and said, okay, Jeremy, preach. Gave me an opportunity. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But in kindness, because they saw something, put me there, and it developed a relationship with this man right here. I'm so thankful for it. Forever thankful for that. You got to know this is what God is doing for you. Come on, somebody say, it's me. He reached out to me. He drew me in. He lifted me up. Glory to God. Oh, is it 830? Last verse. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 2. I come from a long line of long preachers. Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll be done. I want you to see it. Look what happened. Verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. 
When God put Jesus on that cross, he was once and for all putting to death the distance between us. He put to death the distance between us. He reached out. He drew us in. Listen to this. Having abolished in Jesus' flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came, Jesus came, and he preached peace to you who were afar off. Somebody say, that's me. And to those who were near. For through him we have access by one spirit to the Father. Back up to verse 6. What else did he do? He raised us up together. Made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might. Oh, come on. Are you still in here? Show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Thank you, Lord.